Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's the first part of Pastor Michael's teaching in the book of Psalms, chapter 22 through 24, called The Shepherd Psalms. I want to just show you something at the uh, tail end of Psalm 22 and kind of a, a maybe a heading for the psalm. It says, all the earth, Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth, verse 27, 22, 27, will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. All the ends of the earth are the concern here that they will remember and turn to the Lord. Now, we have a memory problem uh, as humans. We are so quick to forget the God who made us, the one who breathed life into us. We are quick to forget sometimes as individuals, sometimes as families, sometimes as a nation, who it is that we belong to, who it is that we are to glorify. And so this is a key verse, I think, in, in uh, Psalm 22. Let all the ends of the earth remember and let us turn to the Lord. Now, if you uh, have a New American Standard Bible like I do, you'll see a heading, and it says, For the choir director at the top of Psalm 22, upon Aheleth Hash Hahar. And all God's people said, What? Well, if you have a New King James Bible, it says, To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn. We did an overview of the book of Psalms or what's called the Psalter. I mentioned to you that sometimes at the heading of a psalm, you will be told the tune uh, of the music. And here we do know the tune. And there are some scholars that believe the deer of the dawn was a secular tune of the time. And that that music was taken by David and given words to it. And so this is not unusual. There are some songs even in church history that came out of some secular realms and were Christianized. And uh, that may be the case here as well. So that may be what uh, is going on here with the deer of the dawn. At least some believe it was a secular song. What does this mean? Well, we can say that this is a psalm, says uh, Gusick, sung to the greatest musician. No, it's Notice that it's uh, set to the chief musician, many believe that that's God himself, to an unknown tune, but by the sweet psalmist of Israel, that's David. Yet in it, David sings as more than an artist, but as one of the greatest prophets ever to speak, pointing more to his greater son, the greater David, Jesus the Messiah, than even to himself. Some have applied the deer of the dawn language or the, um, the more difficult pronunciation that you saw as a wounded deer that suffers innocently, but the dawn of the morning brings relief. The older Jewish traditions of Psalm 22, the heading of Psalm 22, say that Ahaleth Shahar means the glory cloud. That is the Shekinah glory, which was visibly present in the tabernacle in the midst of Israel. As the dawning of the morning is compared by them with the horns of the deer, because the rays of the light appear like horns, they speak of those two words meaning the dawning of redemption. And that's just uh, some major views about the background of the psalm. Not 
that extremely important, but the dawning of redemption is a significant thought because this psalm is really about how our redemption was purchased, and it was purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, David authored this psalm 1,000 years before Jesus was born, and you're going to see the prophetic significance of it as you read the opening line with me. This is uh, Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Now, David writes the psalm, and in the prophetic psalms and in prophetic passages, what you have is you have layers of meaning. And so sometimes when a prophecy is written about the coming Messiah, there could be a, an application to the immediate life of the author and even his family and his nation, and then a far fulfillment of something that will happen, for example, in the life of the nation in the future or in the life of the Messiah. Guys in the back, if you don't mind, can you check the air conditioning and just make sure it's where it needs to be? So um, there's what's called in biblical prophecy near-far fulfillment. You can see this in several of the prophecies in the book of Isaiah, for example, where there's a prophecy written and there's a fulfillment in the immediate lifetime of the prophet, and then 700 years later it gets fulfilled in the life of the Messiah. And that you can see, for example, in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, specifically about the virgin uh, being uh, with child, and a, an ultimate reference to Jesus. Now, Jesus does mouth these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, in the book of Matthew. And it's in Matthew 27. And Jesus mouths these words from the cross. It says, uh, you don't have to turn there, Matthew 27, 45. Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Matthew 27, 46, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now they say that when someone would quote the opening line of a psalm, the opening line would be a reflection of the whole psalm. So many scholars and commentators that study Psalm 22 say that when Jesus quotes the opening line of the psalm from the cross, he's essentially saying that the whole psalm speaks to his experience on the cross. So by uh, quoting the opening line, you could say that Psalm 22 will be experienced by Jesus in a wider measure. And I think you're going to see that as well as uh, we study tonight. But in the immediate setting, it is David and the first several verses, in fact, uh, a good chunk of, uh, I think, moving into about verse 21 or so, is a lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know that there's passages in our Bible that say God will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And whenever you see a double cry of something, my God, my God, or Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, there's an emphasis. And here, because it's a negative, because it's a cry or a, and a lament, it, it speaks of intensity. It's a cry, an intense cry. It, it might be something like this. If we were going through a tough time or we experienced a blow in our lives and we fell to our knees and we said, my God, my God, 
That's kind of what David is expressing here. And what's interesting about that intensity is that that is picked up by Jesus from the cross as he's crucified. My God, my God, and the question, why? And from this we learn that it's not unbiblical to ask God why. David asked God why. Jesus asked God why. Uh, Then you can ask God why. Now, I know that some of us well-meaning Bible teachers sometimes say, don't ask God why, ask God what. And what we mean by that is you should never ask God why. Don't question God. Just say, what are you trying to show me, Lord? And that sounds super spiritual. And I'd like to tell you that that's what I do every time I have a problem. What are you trying to teach me, Lord? Mr. Spiritual. But that's not always how I react to problems. Anybody else out there? I often say, why? If I don't voice it, I'm at least thinking it. So I want you to know that um, we all go through that. Uh, there, we have the why question. It comes up over and over again. And, uh, you know, there's not always easy, immediate answers, is there, to our questions. And what we're going to find in this psalm is that we can at least take some refuge in the whys of life by what we do know about God. And I think that's what we're going to find in this psalm is that even though David and ultimately Jesus asks, why God, where are you when I'm going through this, we will find solace in the rest of the psalm. And we are going to find that ultimately God does answer David and ultimately the greater David, Jesus. But right now in verse 1, if we camp here just for a second, we can see a double cry, the word why, and then the question essentially is, where are you? I feel forsaken. And even though as Christians, we could say, I could quote a Bible verse, Hebrews 13, and it says that God will never leave me, nor will he ever forsake me. And in the original language, it is very strong. It is God will never, ever leave you, and he will never, ever forsake you. And we can quote that, and a lot of us know it by heart. There are still times that we feel forsaken. And minimally, that's what Jesus is going through on the cross. Although I will tell you that anybody who's ever looked at the, the situation on the cross and the darkness and what Jesus went through there, and even though some of it's a mystery, the minimum is that Jesus felt forsaken. But many scholars walked out even farther and believe that at some point when Jesus is on the cross and darkness falls upon the land and he becomes a curse for us and he bears the weight of our sin and drinks the cup of the wrath of God, he is experiencing what it means to be forsaken. Scholars have put it this way, that the smile of God turned away from him or some even songs say the face of the Father turned away. And I don't know, honestly, how far to push that because we're dealing with the triune nature of God. We're talking about God the Son, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus exactly experienced at the cross in his humanity and deity, you know, I want to be very careful in the way that I would speak about that. But I will tell you that from these words, minimally what we can say is that since Jesus quotes this, In Matthew 27, on the cross, Jesus feels forsaken. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, I'm Rob Newton, the producer of Walk in Truth. 
Since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on four radio stations in Southern California, Arizona, Idaho, and Utah, reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. Our program has also reached listeners in 49 countries. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth's presence on radio and podcast, and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness. Walk in Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and to expand into more radio stations as God provides. Our current level of listener financial support is about 25%. Can you give a one-time tax-deductible donation today? Please visit walkintruth.com to donate online or get the mailing address. That's walkintruth.com. If you just tuned in, then you missed the first half of today's edition of Walk in Truth. That's okay. You can listen to this episode and many others whenever it's convenient for you on your free Living Truth app. Walk in Truth is also on your favorite podcast app. Simply search for and subscribe to Walk in Truth on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and many more. Listening to a podcast as well as radio is a great way to get some time in the Word when you're walking, catching up on some work, or if you're like me and just need to listen to some Bible teaching while getting ready in the morning. Remember, you can find Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. I want to be very careful in the way that I would speak about that. But I will tell you that from these words, minimally what we can say is that since Jesus quotes this in Matthew 27 on the cross, Jesus feels forsaken. And I want to just give you a practical point for a second because we have a high priest, Hebrews 4 says, that can sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses because he was in all points tested like us, tempted like us, yet without sin. And so when you go to God and you might say, Lord, it doesn't feel like you're anywhere near me. It doesn't feel like when I pray that you're hearing me. Or you may feel forsaken in another relationship or maybe you feel distant from God, that's not something that Jesus can't understand, and that's not something that Jesus hasn't personally gone through, which is encouraging, isn't it? That he knows that feeling, that he's experienced that. And that's not just, you know, the experience on the cross. That's, of course, you know, what he suffered under Judas's uh, betrayal and Peter's denial. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Or to put it another way, why are you so far from helping me? Why are you so far from my groaning? I feel abandoned. I feel if we go with the opening explanation of the deer like a wounded deer that's dying all alone. So what we have conveyed as the Holy Spirit comes upon David is details of Christ's passion on the cross as he suffered for us. James Montgomery Boyce says, we can be fairly certain that Jesus was meditating on the Old Testament during the hours of his suffering and that he saw his crucifixion as a fulfillment of Psalm 22, particularly, says Boyce, close quote. 
And so everyone was casting insults upon him. And he might, we might put it this way, not, not you too, Father, not you too. Everyone's forsaken me. Judas has betrayed me. Uh, Peter has denied me. All of my innermost followers have been scattered on this night. Not you too. Not you, my God, my God. You know, if I had to try to uh, navigate this life without God, and, and if, if it could be a reality that somehow you would lose that relationship or somehow that God would say, I'm done with you, that would be such a painful reality. And uh, when, when Jesus suffers on the cross, and this is where I tell you we want to try to be as precise as possible, and darkness falls upon the land, and the earth is quaking, and the sun doesn't shine at midday. Uh, Jesus is experiencing some, some sense of separation, some reality of forsakenness, and I'll let Spurgeon speak to it. Spurgeon considered this question with an emphasis on the word you. He says, I can understand why traitorous Judas or timid Peter should be gone, but thou, my God, my faithful friend, how canst thou leave me? This is the worst of all, yea, worse than all put together. Hell itself has for its fiercest flame the separation of the soul from God. And yet we know that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, you know, there's some classic songs that say, and the father turned his face away. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic on exactly what happened there, but we do know that as Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, as he is the substitutionary atonement, as he who knew no sin became sin for us, or the sin offering, as he was treated on the cross as though he had committed all of our sins, as, as he's experiencing the wrath of God, theologically we all wrestle with the, the implications of that. Jesus is tasting uh, death. He is tasting the, the wrath of Almighty God. He is being treated on the cross as though he had committed the collective sins of all humanity for all time. And that is hard uh, to explain. Our sins separated us from God. And now Jesus experiences the dark separation of what sin means. Spurgeon says, Yet Jesus not only endured the withdrawal of the Father's fellowship, but also the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath upon him as a substitute for sinful humanity. This was the blackness and darkness of his horror. Then it was that he penetrated the depths of the caverns of suffering. To be forsaken means to have the light of God's countenance and the sense of his presence, says voice, eclipsed, which is what happened to Jesus as he bore the wrath of God against sin for us. And then Spurgeon one more time says, it was necessary that he should feel the loss of his father's smile for the condemned in hell must have tasted that bitterness and therefore the father closed the eye of his love, put the hand of justice before the smile of his face and left his son to cry, my God, my God, why have you left me all alone? 
Yet Isaiah 53.10 says that please the Lord to crush him because he would become a sin offering for us. And this, my brethren, is the cost of the cross. And I don't think that we wrestle enough with the significance of the horror that Jesus felt. And it's not just the public humiliation of the hours upon the cross. It's not just the betrayal of friends and enemies. It's not the mo- just the mockery or the agony of what crucifixion would do to somebody. It's all of that plus this spiritual uh, situation that he is going through as he drinks the cup of God's wrath, as he deals with the darkness of spiritual death. Now, I again want to be very careful in the way in which I communicate this because, um, you know, Jesus is tasting death for each one of us, but I will let you wrestle with what that meant at the cross. But I will tell you this, it was from the cross that Jesus finished our redemption. Because it is from the cross that he says, it is finished, and we'll see this at the end of the psalm, which is paid in full. Why don't you just look ahead for a second so you get a little encouragement. It says, they will come and will declare his righteousness to all people who will be born, that he has performed it, You can see this as a bookend on verse 1. Or, it is done or it is finished. You've been listening to The Shepherd Psalms, Part 1 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's first sermon in Psalm 22. Remember, Walk in Truth is on podcast apps like iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Stitcher, and many more so you can listen to Pastor Michael's teaching whenever you want. If you're already listening to Walk in Truth on Apple Podcast, please give the podcast a rating. More good ratings means the greater the possibility that new listeners will find the podcast. Thank you for rating Walk in Truth. And remember, if you have not already done it, search and subscribe to Walk in Truth wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as we jump into the majestic shepherd psalms, 22, 23, and 24, very excited to bring this to you because it opens with a prophecy about the coming Messiah in such graphic and incredible detail. Don't miss it. Psalm 22, 23, 24, the shepherd psalms, what I hope that you'll get out of it is that you'll know the incredible power of Scripture, how it's like no other book, and how it leads us to the hope the everlasting hope of our great Messiah. Hey, well, speaking of just what's important in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we are at the end of the year and we have an opportunity. We, we've, we've got some incredible open doors at Walk in Truth. And one of the things that we are lacking, just to be candid, is partners. And I've got Rob Newton, our producer. Uh, he's uh, rapping on the window right now as he looks across at me. <laughs> Tell the people to give. No. Look, we we know that giving is a privilege. And I know a lot of you, you've probably just spent a bunch of money on Christmas gifts. And you're like, man. But you know what? It's all about our priorities, right? I mean, how many of our the people that you know need another gift? <laughs> but what would it do for your spiritual life if you decided to redirect some of that money that maybe is kind of frivolous spending to the mission of the gospel. Well, that's what we'd like you to consider. 
and especially consider a monthly partnership with Walk in Truth or even a one-time gift at the end of the year. It would really be uh, special to us, and we thank you all who are partnering with us. And you can give when you go to walkintruth.com, click on that Donate tab, walkintruth.com. Well, uh, we have a men's breakfast the first Saturday of each month. What a great way to start off the new year, 2021, with a men's breakfast at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It starts at 8 a.m., and we're at 1009 Arsenal Way. We have a great breakfast uh, right off the 91 Freeway in Corona, Lincoln Avenue. And uh, we have a great team that makes a special breakfast. We have a time of worship. And we have a teaching, and then you get to break into a small group to get to know some guys and encourage one another. Men's Breakfast, Living Truth, 8 a.m. Saturday. Join us. We'd love to see you there. God bless you. Hey, just one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your financial gift helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Please consider becoming a monthly partner too, or you can give a one-time end-of-year tax-deductible donation. This is the last week to do that, so please visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com. Or you can write a check and mail your gift to Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 22 called The Shepherd Psalms. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.